0: Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. I'm really excited about a new Austrian show on Netflix called Freud. So excited that I tracked down the director of all eight episodes, who the co-creator of the show, Marvin Krenn. We were able to organize a Skype interview with him. He lives in Vienna, in Austria, and we had a fascinating conversation, but the quality of the connection was quite honestly terrible. So there are a lot of interruptions and a lot of sputtering and things like that so we decided to make it a bonus episode. Those of you who are really interested, I think it's worth listening to all the way through but I think the average viewer is going to have a tough time with it so I love the show, I love what he had to say about the show and I recommend it especially in hibernation so uh, please give a listen to me and my conversation with Marvin Cran. I'm Mick Garris, and from the safe distance of Nice Guy Productions' world headquarters overlooking the evacuated San Fernando Valley, this is Postmortem. I've spoken a lot on this show about the many international horror treasures I've experienced in my travels to film festivals around the world, and I hope we've helped introduce you to movies that you might have otherwise missed. Well, the travels have stopped. And we are all in this together. Treasures await us if someone would just give us a guidebook. Well, Netflix may well be the X that marks the spot. Among all the streaming options, they seem to have curated and created the best international fair in our genre. Because they've gone global and have found massive success around the world, they are funding movies and television in every language and territory. Of course, it's tough to separate the wheat from the chaff, but that's one of the reasons we're here, right? Television offers us an amazing panoply of wonders these days, from The Walking Dead to Penny Dreadful to The Outsider to Marianne and countless others. But I was feeling adventurous one night while we were sequestered and searching for our next binge, and for some reason, an Austrian TV show, in German, with English subtitles, called out to me. I answered that call, and boy, am I glad that I did. To call it unique and surprising is the understatement of the year. It's not the biopic you expect it to be, not by a long shot. Our guest, via Skype from Vienna, so please forgive the imperfect sound, directed all eight episodes and wrote two of them. He has a grand history in Austrian horror in television and film. We'll meet Marvin Krenn and dig deep into one of the pleasure treasures available for binging now on Netflix. It's a little crazy out there right now, so Fangoria is offering a free two-month digital membership to everyone. Go to Fangoria.com for more information and to make an account. Then pour over all the exclusive articles, interviews, and reviews on the site, as well as original video content and podcasts, like this one. You'll even have access to high-resolution scans of the first 15 issues of the original run of Fangoria Magazine, and counting. Go to Fangoria.com now to start your free digital membership. And if you're looking to add to your social distancing watch list, Fangoria's latest movie VFW is now available to stream on demand and Satanic Panic is now available to watch on shutter. And by the way, so is Nightmare Cinema. So Marvin, you're in Vienna now in Sigmund Freud's neighborhood. Tell me yes, right. Tell me how things began on this this project. And maybe, why don't you give the audience, who I'm sure is mostly unfamiliar with your show, uh, just a little one-liner about what Freud is to you.
2: Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on your show, to be on a guest, and um, to get interviewed by you. Oh, thank um, you. Well, I just uh, came out uh, at the end of March. We premiered the show uh, also, uh, which is a big success to have a TV show at a film festival. And, well, um, I think it's always very important uh, um, as a director to find a personal approach into a new project when you, you when you come on board and for Fro- Freud it was fun. he's from Vienna I am from Vienna and for everyone who was in Vienna it's a special city and I think there is not another city uh, where Freud could found his idea it's a perfect head because you do something with the Vienna soul of the people here, the people are very spectacular in in their soul there has a, a big diversity because on the one hand they are very friendly and on the other hand they are very grumpy. <laughs> and this dynamic of their souls is I think this is this perfect picture he, he 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 had in the city. It didn't change. Um, I think in the last hundred years, we, we we're still the same assholes.
1: <laughs> so did you did you research it heavily before you got into it, or is it part of your DNA that everyone in Vienna knows Sigmund Freud?
2: You, you breathe Sigmund Freud here. He is everywhere. He uh, I think he influenced all of us. He influenced. Uh, uh, the art, he influenced uh, uh, the, the, the way we are thinking and influenced the, also the film and back then when I was in film school I had this little essay of him where he describes the uncanny um, and that was also a very important uh, influence for me For because you know I did horror films previously Uh, one was called Rambok and for the, for the hardcore fans, the other one was called Blood Glacier. Blood
1: Glacier or Blood Glacier. Glacier. Yes. So, so, so
2: I think, um, thriller or horror films, there's a deep connection between, um, horror films and Freud. The subconscious and all, all of that. So the show uh, we're telling about Freud—it's—it's—we all have this this old bearded father figure in our head with the cigar and looking sinister at the camera and untouchable. But we wanted to the, tell the story about a young Sigmund Freud who is not a father, who is all of energy. And of Sims and of of, of um, um, a very restless young person, and try to figure out this young person before he became a mega. But what you're gonna see if you watch our show on Netflix is it's not a biopic. It's a story, we, we start with the young Freud, but it's going to be a Freudian work, if you if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's so a it becomes Freudian thriller.
1: a Freudian dream, in a way, that comes to life. Because what people are not going to expect is this takes a turn into the supernatural. It truly is a horror series, and you're going to expect this dusty old story. Here we go again, the story of Sigmund Freud. But it is anything but that, but it represents so many of the things that Freud was all about. It is very sexual, it's about dreams, it's about fear, it's about, you know, all of these things that were in Freud's formative years that took shape over the decades to follow. Absolutely,
2: absolutely so uh, let me tell you the the young Freud didn't found the ideas he later found out so we're telling the story about the young who just found out that there has to be something like the subconscious he was in Paris he he learned something about hypnosis and through hypnosis he found a very uh, powerful tool to come somewhere where people don't want to go and he Describes the subconscious as um, a place uh, as a dangerous, dark place, um, and that's why we we took that we took this as inspiration for our, our story to tell a dark story, and to to, to that's why we drift to the uh, very organic to the to the genre of horror. But does you, it make uh, sense?
1: Absolutely, but you have you you've been a lifelong horror fan? I mean you've done cop shows you've done uh Austrian and German television um four blocks is a thriller, but your first two movies are really balls to the wall horror films. Your first one uh <laughs> Rambach, is about a virus and it's sort of a it's a zombie film in a way right
2: absolutely absolutely um uh, and and uh, as a as a horror film maker i the one who can't watch horror films <laughs> or who has to be really in a good state mentally state to watch horror films and i was really? thinking about what is it what is it why can why can i do horror films but why can i watch and i think it has to do with the subconscious and with sigmund freud because Watching a horror film is you giving everything you give your trust to the filmmaker, and you do the journey into yourself. You you meet places you don't want to go. You meet dark. Um, the reflection in, with yourself starts watching a horror film, but making a horror film is it is different because you're in charge. You can control it um, going there. Uh, you. You can guide your heroes there. Uh, this is the difference. But my love, where, where does my love come? Making horror films. I think it has to do with my grandmother. She was a great artist. Uh, she did looms. No, uh, 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 not looms. She was working on a loom. She did tapestries.
1: Right. So, t- so she would yeah. weave tapestries. She, wow.
2: Yeah, she would weave tapestries. <laughs> t- and I was... She... A lot of care when I was little, and I was always with her. and She was doing this, and this had this special sound, it's a hypnotic sound, Mm -hmm. till the night. And we're smoking cigarettes and drinking wine. And then later, night, uh, she switched to TV. On and back then, in Austrian broadcasting channels, they showed really classy movies like uh, Night of the Living Dead or even (laughs) 100 Days of Sodom. And she didn't recognize because she thought I was asleep. But I was secured by her and watching the <laughs> most horrible uh, films. Deep in the night, Rachel singers the funny thing is, I was somehow, very, I felt very comfortable on the one hand. But on the other hand... Uh, uh, I was frightened. Well, you, you were know, seeing things that were not.
1: You were seeing things yeah. that were not
2: appropriate for
1: your yeah, age.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it was. At uh, the other hand, I, uh, it made me to a uh, to, um, to a good filmmaker. I think because of this, because of this early age. Nobody should do that to these kids, Uh, but uh, I think it was not so bad to see horrible films at this early age.
1: Well, like (laughs) me, it gave you a nice career, you know, starting when I was a kid. My grandmother would say things like, Where's that gruesome stuff going to get you, Michael? And it was like, Well, a career perhaps. How about that? (laughs) So um, that began in your childhood. did your parents, did your family uh, support this this love for doing that? Did you get a little video camera when you were a kid and make your own movies, things like that?
2: Uh, well, I came from a family uh, with a lot of artists. My mother's an actress, and and so on. And theater and, and movies, they were always surrounded by me. So it was nothing uh, special for me. So to doing it, it was like something which was there, back then, my parents, you nor know, my grandma didn't find their art. It was just passion and a lot of misery. So I was not actually really drawn to the field of being an artist actually. So it came after, after serving, in Austria we have to serve um, army. Right. After school we have to go to the army. Um, And uh, actually, after that, uh, I start figuring out what I want to do. And then I I, I found my place in in the movies.
1: And was it horror films that that you wanted to do from the beginning?
2: Mm. I was always fascinated uh, in horror films, but... um, As I said, that the Night of the Living Dead seeing as a seven year old was such an experience for me. I never 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 will forget when one of the songs with there. you know the test. Right. Because it's just I will never forget. But then I I I, um somehow I lost the connection to horror films. And I was working when I was really young, like twenty one, working for a 20th Century Fox um, Marketing Department, uh, marketing, ah. and we had these pre- uh, pre-screenings for the um, for the marketing for for the for the marketing crews, and I never heard anything about the film Twenty Eight And I was sitting there, and I saw Danny Boyce, uh Zombie, yeah. take, and I was jumping up. And I was screaming, and it like it it's it all the energy of me want to become a director came back in during this film because you know the energy of this film was was um, was something very special in the early two thousand. Nobody did that the 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 the, the hand the the hand cam and the music and this um, really um, how do you say physical approach. Uh, and his, fast uh, zombies too <laughs> fast fast zombies uh, yes the first fast zombies right and yes and then I said okay what he, what he gives me I want to give to the to, to the audience as well this kind of energy so this was actually the init, initiation uh, becoming a net director was, then it was twenty eight years later
1: and you wanted to do a zombie film and you did one with Rambach
2: Yes, yes, yes. That was after uh, I did film school uh, in Hamburg, in Germany, and I met a great guy, uh, my long collaborator Benjamin Hessler, whom um, with whom I studied, and he's 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 my screenwriter. He writes uh, every important film I'm doing. Uh, he's much more clever than me. I'm <laughs> like the 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 body, and he's the brain. <laughs> Uh, and he um, and he had and 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 he had this idea of 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 Rambo, of an Austria, of a German take of a zombie film because uh, American zombie films is always a killing, handing someone a gun and killing zombies. But our take was like a surviving film. Like what do Germans do in a zombie? Film? And we talk with each other a lot and we figure out and we stay together. And it's a lot of finding a plan before killing. So you will not see one zombie killed in um, in, in, in Rambok.
1: Okay, that's great. <laughs> well, tell me about the film school. Well, first, actually, let's talk a little about being in Europe and being a film student and being a filmmaker. You're able to get such amazing production values in a city like Vienna. You don't need a lot of money to have production design to die for. The buildings, there's such deep history that we don't have in the U.S. of yes. of, of revered architecture and locations that are spectacular that make it feel like you're seeing a multi-million dollar production when you're not.
2: What you saw and and freud if you if you're speaking about that is we shot the whole of Iraq. um and in vienna everything is uh renovated too much renovated so if you shoot, would shoot here everything would look too nice really? so we have to go to the in the east europe yeah yeah but uh but you too uh, um um the material what we yeah, in Austria, you know, one of the greatest filmmakers, Bill Wilder or Fritz Lang, they are from Vienna, and uh, plenty of other great artists are from from Hungary and from Berlin and so on, from from uh, Hollywood uh, eras. And yes, we have this, we have this tradition, but somehow we uh, we lost it through the eighties and nineties. We said, okay, the cool stuff comes from America. Mm. And we don't do cool stuff. And doing a, a, such a free take on Freud uh, would have not been possible without Netflix.
1: Mm.
2: You know, we needed Netflix to do something like that. It, um, before, it was controlled by Austrian or by national broadcasting channels, and there were sitting people who said, no, our audience. Is much too old. They would not allow uh, such a that you play with such a national treasure like in that way we we did it. That's the cool thing about that about globalization. In one sense, is that um, we understand as young filmmakers, uh, I'm not so young anymore, understand that we can uh, we can, that we can get in. Inspired by our own history and being more playful with with that, what we have, hopefully, um, the global audience will. Yeah. You know.
1: Well, it it certainly gave me a great reaction and you know I want to spread the word and and uh, uh, because it's a true horror series. It starts out looking like a very classy public television drama um and we're <laughs> see, meeting young Freud but it's not afraid to spill blood, it's not afraid of its sexuality, it's not afraid of its darkness and you directed all 8 episodes. So it has a vision that runs throughout. I mean, when I did the stand, that was an eight-hour mini-series, where I did all of it, and I think it helps to have a. I co- love it. I love uh, the stand. <laughs> thank you, but it it has a <laughs> cohesive vision throughout, from beginning to end, that I think can only come from a director's vision that that you have impressed upon this series.
2: Yes, um, and it it could uh cost uh, it uh, it cost me my hearing <laughs>
1: really? I lost it
2: for uh yes yes because the work was so immense uh, uh on the one hand I knew I need to do all these uh, eight episodes to have this vision because um, I see it so often in, in TV shows that you love the first two episodes of something and then somehow although the showrunners want to do the best but it is so complicated to transport the vision to other directors, although they are good. You know what I mean? It is it yeah. is very complicated the showrunner system. And in that sense, I said, okay, I want to do all of them. But we had uh, less. Um, we had not so many days. We had eighty-six days for for these eight episodes, and one episode is fifty hours. Um, and uh, I did all of. And then I had to edit two months. I don't know if that is uh, in in American um, context uh, how much is it of if it's a lot or if it's less. For us, it's not much. And um, uh, and then I was working like uh, like one year without any 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 pause. And then yeah. suddenly, before mix, I didn't hear shit. I didn't oh hear no! Oh. So I lost completely hearing. How did yeah, that yeah, happen? Yeah,
1: How was, did that happen?
2: It happened because of of the last music in episode, eight. Uh, and I knew I need the perfect score for the last uh, moment when we say goodbye to Freud, um, and um, so I. I to the composers, uh, I was not um, satisfied. So I did one round after another and recognized that he couldn't deliver anything more. So I I needed to love the the last one, and uh, I couldn't, so I asked him again. And that produced a lot of stress for him, for me. And I was listening like uh... his one song, like for for five hours to understand what he did. So and suddenly I, I put off off my earphones and uh, there was no hearing anymore. Just a loud oh tinnitus.
1: Oh my god!
2: But luckily, there doc- yeah, luckily there are doctors and they gave me some injections and after three days the the hearing was back uh, and uh, I could do them the the, the mixing. But yes, um, the great thing uh, was the the thing was we, we wanted to do a show which is called of Freud it should not be a biopic it should Freudian work when we start understanding what that means was great freedom for us uh, creators for Benjamin and for Stefan Brunham and we could uh, dig in into the uh, into really provocative worlds because Freud itself later he, he was very uh, very provocative scientist so people was very, people were very angry back then uh, about his uh, the way he interpreted the psyche of, of us people. So, so that that motivated us to also give everything uh, in, in in sexual uh, topics and in violence topics because he's speaking a lot of the it and the it is like the animal uh, which. Uh, is deep in us and which wants to break out and live our anarchistic life of real life. Um, so that's why it has this violence outbursts in, 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 in the
1: show. But uh, also you go deeply into Freud's use of cocaine and he becomes more and more and more dependent on that throughout the eight hours of the show. And I find that fascinating. I mean, you can't help but correlate it to the movies we've seen of Sherlock Holmes and the like. But um, tell me about how you made the series reflect the hallucinogenic quality of his drug use.
2: Well, if you watch any any show right now, I think every... every main actor or uh, main character uh, is taking any uh, kind of drug right now it's <laughs> like
1: very popular
2: it's like overdose of, of, of uh, dr- yeah so uh, but in the case of Freud it was really um uh, bi- biographical correct it was it was biographical correct Um in his early years he just dis- and he really liked to to take it, um, and, and 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 this form of the 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 coke gives a, um, a nice dramaturgy element to show a young man who's all already um, not really mentally healthy. That's right. what we are saying here. But you know, Coke enhanced that, and so, so in uh, during the episodes he he gets much more into the, the, the abusing of, of of coke. it's taking much more more and more um yeah, this is his dark journey
1: it it reminded but me of a, a lot the
2: structure,
1: yeah, it reminded me a lot of the mantle twins in David Cronenberg's Dead ringers.
2: Oh, right. Never saw that. Sorry.
1: Oh, highly recommended. Highly recommended. Okay. But, um, okay. but Freud also offers it to others as treatment in your show. Yes. And I find that fascinating that he uses his own addiction, what he needs to survive in his world and share that <laughs> with his patients or anyone basically says, here, ha- have some of this
2: yeah but if you, if you read his um actually destroyed everything what he wrote back then when when he was young he, he really tried to control his legacy Freud. Right? uh but there are the letters to his wife and later the letters uh, to william fleece who was also a doctor uh who survived those letters survived and he really believed in cocaine he didn't believe in cocaine as a drug he believed that it, it makes him better. So that's why we used it so um, uh, so open.
1: Right, right. Well, tell me about bringing... It's, the, not,
2: it's not a debut. It's not a debut.
1: Tell me about bringing the supernatural into this story because it's a very, very natural progression. You don't expect it at all but it comes into it, witchcraft and, and various elements that take us to something that is more than what's real.
2: Um, there are two approaches to, to answer that, or to go deeper into that. On the one hand, I am fascinated about the occult. Uh, I, I, I Also because of my grandmother, because she did she did this, um, witchcraft and not witchcraft, uh, say the the woogie board, uh, oh, yeah, in English,
1: the, the Ouija board, yeah,
2: Ouija board she did me when yeah. I was a kid. So, I was always she, she was she was very into the occult, uh, so, so this is deep in my uh artist DNA, um, mm-hmm. and then another uh, one other, and uh, on the other hand, uh, the occult was a big thing in vienna at that time people meet up doing seances and it is and at the same <laughs> at the same time seances were kind of a science as well uh, but it didn't survive it didn't become a science but it was a science back then in in vienna and um And then we were thinking about about the occult, about the uh, about that, and and find out that the, the approach of the occult is very similar to psychoanalysis in the way of the method, because you're sitting together, you're quiet, dark, the room is um, is dark. You concentrate and you you go in and you start thinking about yourself. You start to think about the people you miss. Uh, and it, it, I think it's a very emotional process at doing occult things. And and there we find a connection be- between Freud and Fleur Salomon. And she's basically actually the same thing with other words like freud does later on a lot of people will hang me for this what i'm saying <laughs> but that w- there were a mission a uh, le- legitimation to bring those two worlds together and and this it's sub- up but not it's up narrow if you if you really focus uh, watch this show really constantly is, is that um that uh, there is nothing supernatural in it in the show everything which happens in the show um, uh, can be described through science somehow right so it's grounded
1: yeah it's
2: everything is grounded but it it comes as a really horrific horror show and this is what 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 keeps me and benjamin going from the first moment we we were working here's a screenwriter me as a director on our um, genre uh, uh, scripts, that we all, uh, we find it very intriguing, very interesting, always to, disc- to, to to find a way, it has to be a scientific uh, explanation, you know? Right. And it can be supernatural. Like, you know, this dynamic always interests us. And Fleur Salomon, she, she is a very sick person, and her past, pa- um made her that and with her with her visions we take into um, her past she has this ability uh, of see more than others do and i believe a lot of people i believe in something like i believe that something like this is real and she has But dust does, that doesn't make make her like, like a supernatural person um and when we dig into her subconscious, we see those horrific and uh, horror elements because it has something to do with what she experienced as a kid, and what kids experience is much much more. Than, uh, what the mind does to the kid is it it, it, it it is like a black box, and that that's what she experienced. The when she's a grown up.
1: Oh, uh, Flore Salome is an amazing character and beautifully performed. Um, was she an actual uh, person, or is she an there? Invention?
2: Is um, she is uh, more an invention, but she is influenced by Louis Salome, uh, who later in Freud's life, uh, close friend and the first female psychoanalyst, um. In his in, uh, in 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 history, but she is somehow like a, a, a throne for salom. But it's, it's a it's a it's another person. I see. So tell me,
1: about the woman. Yeah. Well, tell me about The difference you were talking about how restrictive Austrian and German television is um, And how the people who run the networks and the like uh think they know their audience, that it's older, that it's conservative, and and how you were able to take this vision to Netflix and make it come to life. Well, previously I
2: did the show uh, Everybody Who Loves absolute Gangster Stories uh, should watch four blocks, especially the first season. It's for me. And um, this was my first uh, series I did um, as a show. And the show was really successful in Germany. Um, Mm -hmm. I was working with uh, real uh, criminals and doing a big gangster saga with um, Arabic migrants in in Berlin. And uh, after that, uh, I had had my, I had, no, they were really interesting. in me working um, with uh, together with me. So I had on the one hand we had Netflix and on the other hand um, we needed a co-production partner in Austria and Austria definitely the, the ORF, it's called um, uh, OF, the, the national broadcasting channel, they, they really wanted and this is very traditional of uh, uh, television making there. Uh, I, in, in previously, I was thinking, so happened you know, for me as a filmmaker, do I have to do a version for them and for Netflix? And the funny thing was, uh, uh, they let me do what I want. And I was thinking, when will they tell me that they don't want to have a sex orgy in episode five? <laughs> they didn't tell me. But it didn't. It didn't come. So, uh, so, so there was kind of a, a, a wild card for me till, till to the editing. Then there was the editing, and suddenly there were the people who were saying, "Okay, we can't show that like this." So we had one version for uh, the, uh, the ORF and one for Netflix.
1: I see. So there were two different
2: uh, two different
1: cuts. There's the director's cut on Netflix. Two different uh, cuts, yeah. Huh? Yeah. yes, yes well one of the special things about this miniseries or this series (laughs) is the cast it is so beautifully cast every one line performer in it not only is really good at what they do but they have unique faces and tell me about the process of putting that together Did were they all veterans of film and television or did you get them from stage or were there new people involved It's it's a very impressive and unique looking cast
2: thank you thank you so much so casting is uh it, it's, that's my main thing and um there is nobody uh i let no producer or no no in-house producer of any channel speak into this uh, i this is really my thing so um i do a, a lot of uh casting and uh, um i have this this, 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 this connection somehow to, to certain actors. And, uh, I love those, those actors who, um, acts very out from their instincts, who are, who more about sensing than, and, and impulses than, than uh, craft or then not craft, you know, than technique.
1: Right, so it's all about instinct and playing the moment as it happens, really, yeah. rather than yeah. you don't do a lot of rehearsals, uh, it, you like it to happen on the set on the day? Yes. Yes.
2: yes. No, no, that's not true. I do actually a lot of rehearsing. Uh, I'm working together with an uh, with, with, uh, actor's coach, uh, very closely, his name is called, uh, he was previously on my, with Michael Fassbender when they were young. and, and, and Hardy, and, and he is also very, very much in witchcraft he so brings the, the uh-huh. whole cult into, uh-huh. into, in, in, into the process and and uh, working with him is, in, uh, is very interesting because this is my fifth project with him because together we found out that we had to go to the core of a scene of the major scenes uh, uh, with the actors. So really, we do everything in in, in, in rehearsing, which happened a before we shoot, um, and we, we start crying together, and we, we, we're lying on the ground, and we're shouting at each other. So we lift all that out together, because you know, when you work on the set, and everything is in course, and you have these times, and just have probably sometimes just an hour to get the scene right, and you don't, don't get it right, because Something doesn't work right, but with that tool what I implemented in my work uh, We we have been there together. We have been at the maximum Emotional power a scene can deliver. We were there So I don't care a fuck on the day where we shoot the scene That the situation is not right, but because we have been there so I can tell the actors remember we have been there it's all about the 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 commitment of actors and my commitment um to bring something very um authentical organic emotional organic uh in front of the of the line so yes but i need or i need this 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 commitment from actors i need this commitment and to get my commitment as well Well, so um, uh, rehearsals are very important.
1: So it becomes the rehearsals are far in advance, and by the time you're on the set, it becomes a sense memory that they can call upon.
2: Yeah, sense sense memory. Yeah, so they're
1: able to be spontaneous, but having already experienced it once before.
2: Absolutely, and I think especially if you're doing if you're working into the genre, I think it's so important to have good actors' performances. Because,
0: you know, they don't
2: do ordinary drama. They have to find the um, to the genre in an authentic,al realistic way. Because if they don't do so, uh, it gets very easily not believable, and then the whole approach to doing a genre piece uh, can 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 be um, can be dist- doesn't make sense.
1: Absolutely. I've always said good horror is good drama first.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The the, the marriage between uh, good drama and and, and horror is the most important thing.
1: Well, let's talk about doing this period film. I believe this was your first period film. And... Second period film, okay. Um, But let's talk about the veracity of it, Uh, how much research you do on the, uh, you know, well, you shot in locations that were spectacularly beautiful and were rich in atmosphere and emotion. Uh, But let's talk about the difference between shooting a contemporary story and a period story.
2: Um. I have sometimes the problem with uh, historical films and series um, and I try to find out what it is that it, it, it bores me. Um, and I think it has something to do that uh, cameraman and uh, uh, the, the, the DOPs or the directors or the art directors they fall in love with the subject, they fall in love with the, the historical approach. Um, that everything looks different uh, than uh, than the normal life because it's you know costumes and carriage and, and stuff like that. And the thing was that we said it's not historical. It is it of course it's historical, but it's not. So we, we we should be so used to it. So you want actually you do, but please forgive me. It's one of the first shots in the in the series do a white shot, but we try to avoid so many white shots as possible. You need, of course, you need white shots to get the rhythm uh, and uh, a film language rhythm. You know what I mean? Of but, course. Uh, we, we try to avoid uh, white. We, we try to do this classical white shots where coverage comes, and people walk. So we try to be in it like it would be nowadays. So, so, not, not shooting from a avoid
1: that you're being yeah, informal t- and treating t- t- it t- like t- it t- is, is contemporary, but with historical settings. Yes. But, yes, 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 absolutely. But there must be a difference too, you know, even a, in the work in the States that I've done and in a couple other countries, uh, once you're in a great location, um, how much that makes a difference to how the actors feel, how you feel, how it inspires performance, right?
2: Absolutely, uh, doing historical films is is one of the most beautiful things you can do because um, you really lose yourself as into another universe. Um, uh, and what else, what better is there uh, for us uh, filmmakers to? use yourself into other worlds. Um, and it's very easy in, in, in terms of historical stuff.
1: But in, in terms uh, but of... But for me, it was so... Imp- um, no, go ahead.
2: In, in in terms of Freud, it was uh, something very personal because uh, the time we are speaking of, all the very important writers, thinkers, and painters c- came from this time. If it's Kokoschka, if it's Klimt, if it's Otto Schnitz, uh, uh, if it's Stefan Zweig, they more or less influenced the, 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 the coming up a hundred years of us. Um, they are all born in that time, you know, and going there as a young, uh, as a, as a, as a filmmaker, and try to live their life and and try to dig, in, dive into their, um, into their uh, surrounding uh is is', is, is most chilling and really really um energy giving that giving you yeah.
1: so but even technically do you find yourself lighting in a yeah. different do you find yourself lighting in a different way and and shooting things uh you know obviously you don't have all the neon lighting and fluorescence and things like that um and it can't help but help your mood when you're in these vast um you know, 400-year-old buildings and the like.
2: So on the one hand, um, with the art director, we try to to um, deliver or to create uh, real authentical settings that look uh, appealing to, to the audience. So we work with um, a cold light from the outside and with a warm light from the inside. This is something what we know, actually, uh, from several other movies. Um, there we work with the expectable. Uh, but at the other hand, I'm uh, as a filmmaker, I am very impulsive with the camera. I am like I I, I want to look in uh, all directors, you know, and, and uh, which is uh, my camera is very chaotic some, some somehow in, in 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 the best sense. I want to be there where the moment is. So the actors are the most important thing, and not the camera. camera which is for the short film, a, a completely different approach because the camera directs, uh, the view, right. somehow. you know, for shop sure for the for sure, for sure approach. but in my sense, I am very handicapped. I love that, um, physical approach. So my cameraman was really hating his life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, to, to, to feel, fulfill all, all, all my demand, uh, at the one hand, uh, to to let it look uh, like it that it's really you know um, um, I I don't have a better word for for quality or for expensive or for, right. for good picture right yeah. the beauty because of. you need your time as a dop to make the perfect to make the, to make a good lighting but then I I said I want to have the camera in all directions at the same time and also. Because we had to shoot in, uh, we had this 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 pressure doing this on a day, you know. So uh, that was complicated uh, to do, but
1: so you kind of had to use practical lights, actually see the lights in the room. Yes, that I love rather it than having lightning. me too. It looks so gorgeous and so real, and thank you. It's it's beautiful. Tell me a little bit about the film school experience that you had uh, when you were young that that gave you these tools to help you express the artistic side of what you do.
2: When I came to film school um, in Germany, uh, uh, it was quite difficult because uh, the, the, the German soul is different to the Austrian soul. The Germans are really like like to talk too much. (laughs) Uh, To to they're they're very you know democratic and 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 which is good. And learned a lot about um, working in a group back then. But shut up! I'm the I'm the director. (laughs) So and uh, we do it like this and nobody wanted me in the first year. So uh, what I learned uh, as a film student was that there is not just me, that there is a writer, that there is a producer, that there is a cameraman, that, that there are all gifted people, that um, that we have to work together to find um, to find the perfect, um, to, to, to do the perfect film. And I'm very, very grateful uh, for 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 this learning, you yeah. know. It was very important. And uh, I met Benjamin, my brother, uh, in in mind, uh, my, my, uh, and 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 we start creating your our our career together. And yeah, what what I found out was um, was was a lot about genre because uh, every. Everybody else back then were really into uh, these classical short film dramas. You were in in the world uh, super, but there were these classical short film dramas about realistic. And uh, Benjamin and I we went to the genre um, and tried to combine to to combine both both elements. We tried to combine the classical. Drama with the genre stuff. So and and and, and our, our major our short film, which was called Shaltag uh, won a lot of prizes <coughs> and gives us the chance to, to run back our first horror. So mm-hmm. when we, back then we understood the the, the genre as a, a Trojanian uh, horse. You understand?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we're getting close to the end, but before I wrap it up, I want to talk about the one thing that people in the States may be familiar with that you did is from ABCs of Death 2. You did R. Um,
2: yes, yes.
1: So tell me about that.
2: Uh, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it everything happened, uh, back then when I was at the great fantastic fest in Austin. And, uh, and Team League invited me there and I was presenting, uh, Rambok there. And then I had a chance to meet Ant Thompson. I think his name.
1: Yeah. Ant Timpson. Yeah. And
2: he is Ant Timpson. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> and, and then I was in Toronto. so... For a bludger at the TIFF at the mid, mid, um, uh, midnight, and he asked me if I wanted to do uh, one episode. And of course, I said yes. Uh, and it was a big honor uh, doing doing being part of this great, crazy thing.
1: <laughs> great, Colin. Mm-hmm. well, it's been great to talk to you, and and I just really. Can't tell you how much how special I think Freud is, and I really hope that our audience will seek it out. And despite the technical problems we've had, I'm I'm hoping that it will be a good listen for everybody. And uh, so, Marvin, thank you so much for being with us.
2: Make it such a pleasure, such an honor to get interviewed by you. Uh, You're a you're a legend Dan, and thank you so much.
1: <laughs> Got in somebody's mind, my, not mine. But You, thank are. you, uh, you th- are. Thank you, Marvin. I appreciate it so much. But I really Will appreciate you
2: the same air. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> all right. Let's get a bigger audience for Freud all around the world and hopefully we can oh. talk again soon. Thank you so much. Bye bye. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world